Welcome to the Gospel Rain Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Dr. Matt Brown and Dr. Micah Carter. We hope you will find gospel-centered answers to your questions about theology and the Christian life. And now, we welcome you to the Gospel Rain Conversation. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again on the Gospel Rain Podcast. I'm sitting here with Micah, and we are discussing in this series the Baptist faith and message. And uh, we've moved to a point in the Baptist faith and message, which is called Article 3, officially. And it's the article uh, on the study of and the theology of man, which we would call it um, uh, theologically um, anthropology, mm-hmm. right? Our, our view of mankind, who we are, uh, how we got here, you know, what all that means. And so we'll, we'll, let's read through this, um, this article. And, Micah, you've got the comparative um, uh, columns between mm-hmm. the, the original publication in 1925 and then the 1963 revision and the 2000 revision. Mm-hmm. So why don't you take a, a shot at reading uh, this article? It it is a little lengthy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, I guess, the longer ones in um, in the Baptist faith and message. But read the two thousand, and then we'll talk a, a, through a few things about mankind, who we are, and then there's a couple things I want to draw our attention to that uh, some changes that have been made in the two thousand bef- uh, that that weren't in the previous ones. Okay. So read the article. So the article reads: Man is the special creation of God, made in His own image. He created them male and female as the crowning work of his creation. The gift of gender is thus part of the goodness of God's creation. In the beginning, man was innocent of sin and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. Therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors and are under condemnation. Only the grace of God can bring man into his holy fellowship and enable man to fulfill the creative purpose of God. The sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his own image, and in that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. So, yeah. Okay. So let's, um, let's unpack this one just a little bit because there's some really interesting things going on here. So we start with uh, man being made in the image of God, all right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, this is a, a very—let me just say this is a very important part, I think, of the whole article. Yeah. Is this establishes for us what we believe about the dignity of man. In other words— uh, man does not have to earn dignity. Right. We, we we have dignity inherent within us because of the fact that we've been created and created right. in the image of God. And this is a really big deal right now in our culture because we still are debating this with a lost culture. Yeah. And a lost culture believes that, uh, or a lot of people do, that, that man or woman is given dignity because of their identity in their work mm-hmm. or what they've accomplished mm-hmm. or what they have or how much they have or what gender they are, or whatever else that you you gain or earn dignity somehow. Right. Uh, but we believe as Christians, and here in the statement as Baptists, we believe we are specially created in His image, which makes which gives us dignity in in itself. Yeah. And which, interestingly enough, this is isn't this what our 
our founding documents of our country even basically stated is that they agreed yeah. with that, that we have dignity as being created by God. That's right. So I think that's uh, interesting and, and good that we start there. But he created the male and female. <clears throat> now, you have this, again, this comparative look. I want you to, we'll, we'll talk more through, we, we talk about his image, and there's some other important things that we talk about here too. But there's a word that comes up right here at the beginning, and it's in the second sentence, no, the third sentence. Uh, because it talks about male and female as the crowning work of his creation. Then it says, the gift of gender mm-hmm. is thus part of the goodness of God's creation. Right. Right. Interestingly enough, I think the 1925 and the 1963 don't have that word. No, no they it. don't. And it's interesting that it's here in 2000. Um, this is a – tell me why – okay, this, again, we're we're recording this 2019. Mm-hmm. or almost at the, the turn, again, of the decade, 2020. We're a long way from 2000, right? Mm-hmm. And the argument for gender mm-hmm. issues now – is so much further along than it was in 2000. Yes. What do you yes. think about that word being used right here in this 2000? Yeah, yeah I I like it. I think uh, the first three sentences of the 2000 statement are unique to it. Uh, the 25 and, and 63, this is one that you, you really would want to pull up the comparison on sbc.net and take a look because the 25 is is so minimal the 63 changes almost all of it really and adds a whole bunch of stuff on choice and freedom um it's very interesting so you know in our in our cultural context you know when we when we're talking about gender um it's almost as if it's prophetic in a sense that now here we are 20 years later look at how critically important the clarification that gender is a good gift, that male and female are the crowning work of his creation. Um, uh, I don't know if you know they could have even understood how transgenderism and so many other things would have been so significant for our day, but um, but I think it was the right thing to do in clarifying the goodness of gender. Now there there have always been you know conversations about gender roles and gender this gender that and we're going to talk about that especially in the article on the doctrine of the church yeah i think that's interesting because in 2000 and we know this because of uh, an addition that was made in the 2000 was uh the issues on family mm-hmm. and uh the fact that we uh we reject uh, homosexual relationships homosexual uh marriage those kind of things what I think is really interesting is that we saw that happening in 2000 enough to make a statement about it that has grown since then. But I think the guys who wrote this or revised this, I think they saw that as a really big issue coming down the road. Yeah. If you're going to accept homosexual marriage, mm-hmm. then everything goes right. Right. I mean, because right. it is so anti-biblical to accept that that if you do go down that road, you're going to have to accept everything else, right? which is not only transgenderism, but you're going to have to accept. Ultimately, the culture is going to have to, and this is a, maybe a topic for another day in another podcast, but you're going to have to accept everything. Mm-hmm. Bestiality. It's coming. You're going to have to yeah. accept. Um, um, you're going to have to, what we would, in the past, we would normally call child abuse. Mm-hmm. Sexual child abuse. You're going to have to accept those things. incest, right? All kinds of stuff, and it's, it's, that's really not a slippery slope argument. I think it, it's very true. I mean, bestiality is already out there. Yeah, um, polyamory is already out mm-hmm. there, and and it's growing in popularity. 
Um, I just my son showed me something just the other day on uh, Snapchat about a, a father and a daughter marrying one another, and he was grossed out by it. And I said, "Yeah, I mean that's incest, mm-hmm. you know it." And the, you know the Bible speaks to those things. Yeah, all of those things. And I just think once when you open doors to those things, you, you, everything else goes. It has to. And so I think the guys who were revising these things back then mm-hmm. saw that as a reality because of the issue of homosexuality and that was coming. You know, that was invading the church at the time. So anyway, I I, I like the addition here to the gift of gender. But but let me clarify what it does say though. Not only that it's against something, but it does say the gift of gender is thus a part. Part of the goodness intentionally God's created. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so i like that because there're going to be other articles that are going to speak to the same type issue that's right uh, the 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 giftedness and we'll talk more about that a little bit later uh, between men and women and all this kind of thing gender is a good thing god created us that way he designed us a certain way and and um I, what i think ought to be elementary mm-hmm. uh, just we ought to be able to see that right we ought that's to be able right. to recognize that and I think we do, but anyway, they included this in the in the article. Well, and you were you you were talking about the dignity of humanity as as the image of God. At the end of the statement, uh, the end of the article, there is uh, the inclusion of the phrase "every person of every race mm-hmm. has full dignity." The term "full" is added as well to clarify. Um, you know, there's been a lot uh, said about the origins of the Southern Baptist Convention and slavery yeah. and those kinds of things, and um, and rightly so. And I think it's interesting that in 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution on racial reconciliation and um, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the convention that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in my thinking, the inclusion here in the 2000 statement is probably reflective of, listen, we we want to clarify when we say every person, we mean every person of every race has full dignity and... Um, I like that. I think it's relevant for today, you know, um, and and you and I both love being precise and clear, and I think I think it adds that. So let me ask you this: just your opinion, how far do you think we've come since? Okay, ninety five, that resolution was made, mm-hmm. and so we we thought it was more important than just having an inner resolution and putting it in an article. Right, this is what we believe. Uh, since the year ninety five, two thousand, how far do you think we've come with that issue? You know, I, I think. So the election of Fred Luter as president, um, I was there at that convention. I voted for him. Um, he was the first African-American president of Southern Baptist Convention, and that was a, a great a great uh, experience and a great testimony to where we've come. H.B. Um, Charles was elected the first African-American president of the Pastors Conference a couple of years ago. Um, that's a great thing. I don't know how much you'll see that in the future, guys rising to the top like that. Um, but I, I would expect so. You know, you have some conversation about uh, entity heads. You know, there was, I think, one time three or four entities looking for a leader. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, none of them hired a person of color. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that that may be a criticism from some. I don't know, yeah, but probably. But I'll tell you where we. I'll tell you where we are now. We're going to see this come to light again in the convention in Orlando next year. Um, is the conversation around critical race theory and intersectionality. And you and I should probably do something on uh, I guess this we at a later should. time. That's a, that's a big deal right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's around issues of race, obviously, and, and how the gospel informs or is informed by these kinds of theories. And so this is a very relevant 
um, conversation in terms of gender and race because we're right here with complementarian, egalitarian uh, issues. We're right here with race, critical race theory, um, and, and intersectionality in our culture. And so, you know, I think they did a great job in, in inserting this and that we can lean on this. Uh, I don't think there's really a need to edit it, to update it, to deal with these issues. I think the statement is good even now. Yeah, and I think the same way with the word gender. Yeah. Uh, I think the statement that is put in there pretty much should help us with any kind of cultural, specific cultural issue that comes up dealing with gender or right. dealing with race. I think we maybe have said enough. and Which makes me wonder, though, down the road, probably in the near future, there will probably, at least the way I see it, there will probably be um, moves by some to want to revise and, probably. and put in yeah. in more detailed language what we believe or don't believe about these two issues, gender and race, because right. since they're such a big deal right now in our culture. That's right. That's good. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's the, look at a couple other things. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. In the beginning, um, as I'm at about the fourth uh, sentence now, uh, third or fourth sentence. In the beginning, man was innocent of sin and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Now, it goes on from there to talk about, to flow from his free choice to sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it flows from that, he, through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command, uh, the command of God and fell from his original innocence. Now, there's a word there used, yeah. innocence, that I think has been changed from which one? Holiness from the 25. Okay, mm-hmm. so the 25 said holiness. And the 63 kept mm-hmm holiness and righteousness no 63 changed it to innocence okay so it was changed then now that now what you just read is a reference to adam and eve that's right that's right because he's gonna it's gonna shift a little bit to posterity but what what you read is with reference to adam and eve yeah so in reference to adam and eve what i want to ask you about is this word innocence mm-hmm. as opposed to holiness and righteousness in adam and eve mm-hmm. theologically yeah. this is again we we've we've said this over and over again but this is real precise and I think there is a real precise uh, reason, whether I, whether I agree with it or not, that it was changed from holiness and righteousness theologically to innocence. What do you think the difference is there, and what do you think the what do you think the purpose was in communicating it that way, innocence as opposed to holiness? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> well, creating the image of God, you know. Um, without sin, without the introduction of sin, would have been a reflection of his glory and his holiness um, and, you know, disposition of righteousness. But the free, the temptation, it didn't, it does say the temptation of Satan um, brought into question, you know, these kinds of things. And innocent, innocent seems to me to really soften all of it. I don't, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of a blank slate. And could go either way, you know. And by his free choice, he chose to go the other way. Um, but, but I don't know, man. I think you know because the rest of the statement we're going to talk about in just a minute, um, kind of builds on that term of innocence. What are you thinking about that? I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what I think. I, I don't, I, I think maybe it, it was an attempt to get 
again, a little bit more precise in biblical language, would it have been fair to use the word holy in talking about Adam? Was that, that's not a word that has popped up in Genesis yet. Right. Right. Uh, we don't. We don't even know, or we don't have the word. I don't believe in. Gen- I just have been reading this again lately in Genesis. I don't. That word is never even used of God yet in the book of Genesis. Yeah, up to that point. So that's fair. But innocence maybe is not either. Mm-hmm. But holiness may be a term that's more reflective of God's character and reflected in the law, obedience to law. Yeah. 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 That's so, well said. And so that Adam is not yet that far into the old. That's the only thing I can say. I, I'm splitting hairs, but I, I uh, you know, I think I think you're on to something. Maybe yeah. I think that's yeah. why. I, I don't know. I, I, so I like maybe the term innocence as far as um, uh, where we stand in the Old Testament. By the time we're talking about Adam and Eve in the, in the first three chapters of Genesis, but but I, I don't know. I think the word, at least in my mind, the word seems to be a little softer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're talking about Adam and Eve, and how, you know, so again, how they fall. But it's interesting, and we won't, we don't have to say much about this. I just think it is interesting that within it, there's an it that one sentence ends with the freedom of choice, and the next sentence begins with freedom of choice, and that's so that's repeated <laughs> yeah. there a couple yeah. of times, which yeah. I think is, I think again, that's probably intentional. Yeah. Um, and again, we talked. Yeah. A little well, bit let me say it. let me say something about that. The twenty five uh, statement has zero about free choice. All of the language of free choice was inserted in the 63. All yeah, of it. Yeah, that's interesting. The only time you hear about free agency of man is in, in the doctrine of election statement, mm-hmm. Article 5 by the 25. It does say it's in conjunction with the free agency of man. But nothing here in terms of image of God issues. The 25 didn't say anything about that. 63 inserted it, 2,000 kept it. Interesting. So, and again, that probably and we talked about this in um, in in you know meeting time before the podcast is that that may be well reflected in the in the committee. Yeah, right, right, for right. sure, you know, for sure. possibly. Yeah, yeah, I you know, and we'll just say this. Uh, I think I think this statement in particular, and probably probably the BFNM overall is weighted toward a non-reformed position. I think that's fair. I think if you if you are a reformed leaning Baptist, Calvinistic Baptist, I, I, I hate to even use that term, you're probably going to struggle with this doc, with this statement right here in man for a number of reasons. I don't. I, I think it's right. I think they they were free. I think they were innocent. They did sin at the temptation uh, and fell from that kind of innocence. Now, what where it goes from there, uh, I think inserts some difficulties um, that we probably need to talk about. Like those, those statements I have no real issue with in terms of Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. you know, right. Uh, but I think it's, it, it bar the capital is pushed from Adam and Eve into his posterity. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's where, you know, where the, the statements are, are heading now fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment, and then here's a word again: inclined uh, towards sin. Yeah, is that what is that is that word used in the other? Um, no, no. Nope. Okay, no. Nope. Uh, uh, not what it. it says in twenty five is his. Whereas 
whereby his posterity inherit a nature corrupt and in bondage to sin. Okay, yeah, we read that one before in the meeting before, yeah. and that's one of the words that I'm interested in. Yeah, in the change there. That's a really, really. You, I'm talking about change. you. You have flip flopped doctrinally, because when yeah. you go from bondage to you're merely inclined by your environment and nature, hmm, the plot thickens. It 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 does. It does, and I'm not so sure. Okay, let me say it this way. I think theologically you can make the same argument from both words. Okay? I right, think, right, right. Okay, I think if you're more of a Reformed believer, I think inclined is not a bad word. I think you can make the same argument, a Reformed argument from the word inclined. Okay? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to maybe the other side of that argument, I don't know that you can make the same argument um, on the other side with both words. Uh, bondage, yeah, yeah, bondage and corruption. I, I, I don't, I don't know. And so, because it says inherit a corrupt nature. Yeah, here it just says inherits a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. Yeah, it removes quite a bit. <laughs> and you know, because what, what is found in the twenty-five is a statement that as soon as they are capable of moral action, become actual transgressors. That is retained in the in the sixty-three and in the two thousand, but. The the flow of that thought follows the bondage and the corrupt nature in the 25, but it precedes uh, moral accountability and condemnation in the 63 yeah. and 25. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. I think, that, I think that's interesting. Now, I do think that this the, the word environment has been added here. Right. Right? right. It, it, was that in the 63? Yep, added in the 63. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good change because I think, or a good addition because I think that shows that not only uh, was man affected by sin, right. but so was his environment. That, that's right, exactly. Right. Yep. The, the, you know, the whole world now is reeling because of sin, yes. not just man. So yes. I, 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 that's a good, I think, a good addition. But it says, therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, now, you made reference to this earlier in um, sort of a pre-production meeting, which I, I thought was a really good point. And I want you to, to speak to that for just a second. We don't have a lot of time here. But as soon as they're capable of moral action, they become transgressors. Now, it already has said, and let me clarify, that Adam's posterity inherit a nature and environment inclined towards sin. Okay. Therefore, as soon as they're capable, they become transgressors. So it's speaking of active sin, active right. transgression, meaning right. I'm responsible for my own sin because I'm a sinner. Um, I, I sin. But but it, the, the issue of original sin with this word inclined mm-hmm. is not as easily... Right. Argued for here or seen here, but but so you move into this issue of as soon as they're capable of yeah. moral action. So, well, it's interesting. You know, we, we use the terminology "we're sinners by nature and by choice." Mm-hmm. The emphasis of the twenty-five is you're a sinner by nature, you're corrupt and under condemnation. Mm-hmm. The emphasis on the sixty-three and two thousand is you're a sinner by choice, mm-hmm. but the nature is only inclined to this. And you know, I'm I'm willing to take a lot of criticism and heat over this, but it this it reads to me dangerously close to semi Pelagianism. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that I don't think if it was semi Pelagianism, it would pass. I don't think Moeller would have had it on that committee. However, however, 
um, you'll notice that the phrase are under condemnation preceded the moral action and transgression in the 25, but it follows the the others uh, in 63 and 2000. So, man, I, I don't know. And, and by the way, that I think that language and the shift of are under condemnation after they're capable of moral action and become transgressors has led to a very popular belief in Southern Baptist life on the age of accountability. Mm. You know, until you reach this age of accountability, you're basically innocent. Mm. And isn't it interesting that the term innocence was inserted in the 63 and retained in the 2000, which is why I think people conclude that you're innocent until you sin. Yeah. yeah. Which is semi-Pelagianism. That's right. That is. And, you know. and that's sort of the definition of semi-Pelagianism. And I, we're using a theological term there, semi-Pelagianism, and that's a, uh, a term that we use in uh, church history. Pelagius is a, a guy that I won't get into all that, but he basically be- believed that a person really does not inherit original sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, right. he, you know, can be a sinner on his own following the bad example of Adam, but but really Adam didn't corrupt him or, or ruin man. Adam, basically, Adam just gave us a really bad example to follow. There's a big difference there. Yeah. There's a really big difference. And yeah. I, I yeah. agree with you. I think these words are probably not as precise as as I would use in systematic theology. I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I, again, I think that guy, I, I don't think, I really don't think anybody on that committee is semi-Pelagian. No, I don't either. I, I mean, I think their their record has shown that. They, mm-hmm. they they are guys who would say, we believe in original sin. I just don't know that the language here is as strong yeah. as the 25 was. Maybe they intentionally softened that. But, yeah. but, but again, as precise as we say we need to be, I, I'm not as pleased with that. Well, and and to balance it out, I think we need to we need to say that the next sentence is only the grace of God can bring man into His holy fellowship. Yep. So there, it's it's not it's not really trying to produce um, a picture that man can save himself, that man is innocent until proven guilty. What I think it's trying to account for is. Um, Infants and children, in many ways, you know, when you when you think about this, and those who are um, mentally in- incapacitated in a variety of different ways, um, you know, it, it, that's. I, I don't think anybody on the committee. I don't think the statement itself would say that nobody would ever reach that point. I think they would say everybody is going to be a transgressor. It's not written in there. Yeah. But theologically, yeah. I think they would say that. I don't think they would say anyone can persist in, you know, this uh, yeah. moral yeah. holiness because they inherited a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. So I think that's how it all flows together. They're not going to say, you know, the man on the island is innocent. I think they would say, no, the man on the island is guilty because of the nature and environment yeah. that he's received. Uh, he's going to sin. Yeah. You know, and, and so only the grace of God can bring him into his... His yeah. holy fellowship. Yeah, I, yeah. They, I don't know. I, I guess the language is a little softer than than maybe. Well, it is softer than the twenty five, or at least it's been changed. Yeah, and um, and you know we talk about precision. I would, I would prefer it to read a little bit differently. I would actually prefer the the article itself to be re entitled humanity. You know, I think I think we're just in a day and age where man, yeah, yeah, has become yeah. specifically oriented to males. So, 
I don't know, man. I, and maybe just it's too fine of a point, but yeah. I think I think a woman can read this and say because even in terms of of redemption and salvation, it's men, men, men. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's right. that reads male to me, and that, that's not what we mean by that. We mean comprehensive humanity. That's right. And so you know, precision is a gift, I think. Um, and you know, but again. The, it raises uh, one com one. We, you and I have a book called Baptist Faith and Message Two Thousand by Doug Blunt and Joseph Woodell's editors, and the the article in in this one, the guy who wrote on it was talking about how you know the statement raises a lot more questions than it produces answers on this. It doesn't define a lot of these things. It leaves them yeah. undefined. Yeah, you know, because what do you mean by freedom? Do you mean complement uh, compatible freedom? Or libertarian freedom. Well, that's a philosophical conversation, but yeah, it's relevant. It is. So there's a lot of other things, questions that he he raises in that. Well, and again, some of these articles are meant to be uh, to to give us an umbrella, right? Not right. necessarily to to define every specific argument, but to be sort of an umbrella under which uh, we can all operate as one tribe with different viewpoints on certain things, secondary, tertiary issues. Right. And so I, I think that's fair, but at the same time, not everything says what we probably wanted to say. So that's Robert me. Stewart's the guy who wrote in this book that I just mentioned. Here, here's what he says. He says, Baptist Faith and Message is obviously not intended to be a fully developed theological statement on any point that it addresses. In fact, Article 3 raises as many questions as it answers. Man is a special creation, but special in what way? Man is made in the image of God, but what does that mean? Man is given free choice, but what sort of free choice? Man inherits a nature and an environment inclined towards sin, but what does that mean? How inclined towards sin is man? Does this inclination alone condemn man, or does it merely make possible his condemnation? That the confession leaves such questions unanswered should be no surprise. So he, you know, I, I think he's right. I think there are still questions. Yeah. And uh, okay, that's fair. We might disagree on some of the language, but all in all, you know, uh, I think uh, you know. I think it tries to balance it with the grace of God can bring men into His holy fellowship. Okay, so. I think that's fair. I think that's fair enough. So as we close the podcast today, let's do um, let's do a little segment at the end. We like to call headlines, and there's there's one I think that's really relevant to this conversation around gender and stuff. And there's a headline that came out November twentieth, an article. It's actually kind of an online essay from Denny Burke. Uh, on the CBMW website, that's the um, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and the title of it is "Mere Complementarianism." Mm -hmm. It's a long essay. It's a it's it's a good essay. He's just trying to say what do complementarians believe, and so we're gonna uh, and he really kind of maximizes on uh, a couple of of core issues in that. And for example, what do what do complementarians believe? They believe in equality of nature and redemption, so that men and women are equal in dignity. They're equal in uh, identity, in in the sense of being created in God's image, and uh, equal on the status of redemption. It's not Jesus. Just because Jesus incarnated in a man's body doesn't mean he can't redeem women. No, right, you know, I think that's right. an important distinction. But complementarians would say that that there are differences in design and calling. That's right. You know, roles and those kinds of things, which is under heat today, and we'll talk about that probably more in the Doctrine of the Church, or on the article on the Church. And then Denny goes on to talk about biological differences and even social differences related to uh, men and women, and I think that's where a lot of the heat comes from yeah. in complementarianism. But uh, 
you know, these guys wrote this in 99, 2000, and inserted gender as a, a part of the goodness of God's creation. I like that. Here we are 20 years later talking about complementarian. And to be honest with you, man, 20 years ago when we were in seminary, I would have never thought that we would be having some of the conversations we're having around complementarianism today. And and just the hostility and aggression against even the term complementarianism. Yeah. You know, and... um you know, because under under question, and we're not going to flesh this out necessarily, but why does Denny write this article is because a conversation in our own denomination about female preachers mm-hmm. and female pastors is is on the forefront. Yeah, it's a big deal right now. Yeah, and yep. and, and I'm not saying that it is a bad thing. I think it, there's always things that we can talk about and and debate, and those are always good things, but. When it begins to be something that is really dividing, I mean, this is one of those. This is a big deal. I mean, this is reminds me of the the division uh, in the subject of of Calvinism and everything else years ago. That has been a big issue for a long time, but complementarianism, egalitarianism, has yeah. really um, um, has really taken center stage, at least right now, as the thing that seems to be dividing us. Yeah. And isn't it funny? We're divided over all kinds of things. We, the, the convention is so. If we're not divided over one thing, it seems to be another. But 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 some of these at least discussions can be healthy, uh, and I think this is a healthy discussion. But but I will say this, and I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days, and we got to close. I know we don't have a lot of time here, but um, and we probably run over time. But one of the things that I think is necessary that I was thinking about the other day is that every Southern Baptist pastor is probably now to the point where if he's been avoiding that issue, mm-hmm. he can't avoid it much longer because right. it's it's going to become a really, really big deal in the 2020 Southern Baptist Convention. Right. I see that coming again to a head, yeah. and pastors are going to be asked by their church, hey, what do you think? If it's a b- big deal in the convention, pastor, what do you think? Right. And I think pastors are no longer going to be able to uh, sort of dodge that bullet yeah, like, like you have in the past. Yeah, they're going to have yeah. to be able to stand and say, okay, I'm going to teach on this issue of women in ministry, right. women, women's roles in ministry of the church, and going to have to really get down to the nitty-gritty. And- it's like, in, it's like you're, in everything. It doesn't matter if it's Calvinism or you know dispensationalism or whatever else. You, know, you, you can't always teach all sides of the issue. I know. And you know, in this particular issue, when you're talking about Complementarianism. You may you may disagree that a woman should preach or pastor, but that doesn't follow that you don't think men and women are equal in the image of God. That's right. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is today. You have to try to find a way to affirm those kinds of truths and yet stand on the Scripture where you and I would argue. That it, as, as the Baptist faith and message does here in an, in an article or so, that uh, the office of pastors reserved for men is qualified by Scripture. Yeah, yeah. So, more to come on that for sure. We want to thank you so much for taking time to listen to our podcast. We really do enjoy getting together and talking through these matters, especially as it relates to the Baptist faith and message. And so, we might deviate next time and do just kind of a a, a one off. Uh, podcast, you know, kind of catching up, maybe thinking through some things practically and personally uh, that we've we've seen uh, in recent years and months. And so we might do that. We might jump back into the Baptist faith, Baptist faith and message. But we want to thank you for uh, for your support. 
and again, uh, you know, jump on Facebook, jump on the website, and if you if there's a topic or an issue that you're kind of interested in, would like to flush out a little bit more, let us know. And then until next time, join us again on the Gospel Rain Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Gospel Rain Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged today, and we pray the gospel will reign in your life this week. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or check out our website at gospelrain.com.